Welcome to the Opening Up Podcast. This edition of the show is slightly different to ones we've had before. This is going to be a very personal approach. Uh, I'm talking today about how depression's impacted my life, how an illness of the mind has come back to me about five or six times across my life. And now at the age of 32, it's something which I feel I've learnt quite a lot about. I certainly wouldn't say that I'm able to defeat it and it never ever come back. I certainly don't have a crystal ball to be able to predict that. But what I have noticed over years of engaging with this is that by doing certain things, I've been able to make the effect of the illness less harsh from the age of 21 when my first significant interaction with it I was very close to ending my life to now at the age of 32 having recently had a depressive episode where it has been bad and it has hurt but I've been able to make steps towards feeling better by trusting what has hurt sorry what has helped before so i'm going to talk uh, a little bit about what it's like to have depression how it personally felt for me what features of it you may notice in yourself or others but also perhaps more importantly how it does get better and the lessons that i've learned these are things which may not directly apply to other people who are suffering but it's certainly something that's worth trying i I've pretty much looked at everything that I've been able to get my hands on in terms of helping myself recover from periods where I've been really low or or, or in trouble. So if one thing is useful for you, then I hope this has been worth listening to. Now, I'll start with the idea of what is depression and, and, and what kind of impacts, what kind of things come from it so i think the symptoms are worth really quickly outlining a lot of the work with opening up is about um, making people aware of symptoms of depression and, and mental illness in general but these are often quite abstract they're things which you can see on a list and if you're not feeling them or you can't immediately spot them in someone else they just seem like something which isn't relevant so i'm not going to spend a lot of time explaining those what might be more useful is for me to talk about how those symptoms then actually manifested themselves in me so the the symptoms generally and and these will these are ones that i'm able to notice in myself and and to some some extent others are uh, lethargy and feeling very tired uh, perhaps even after lots of rest feeling irritable feeling uh, unable to concentrate also having big Uh, differences in terms of appetite whether eating too much or or not enough a low persistent mood persistently low mood sorry is is definitely the one that really starts to um to make sense when we think about depression if someone says oh that's depressing or they use the word as an adjective then it's actually um linked to what we would consider the most um obvious sign of depression but that low mood can also in in cases really push it push towards the the very bleak and the intrusive nature of those low 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 moods and and feelings 
Now, of course, this is uh, some kind of, uh, you know, tick box exercise in a way, often one that will be easy to notice and others around you will be if they've lost interest in things that they usually find um, to be a passion. If it's in cricket or sport, if someone who's usually really up for it just seems to be drifting away from it. People often avoid contact, and I'll mention that in terms of my experience uh, in a moment. So really, if you're looking out for it in someone else, it just simply needs to be a big change in someone where someone usually behaves in a certain way and then that is altered. Even if even if it's not a diagnosed disorder like depression, you still would want to check that that person's all right and that conversation is is one which is so important. But all those things were, were going on uh, in my life at, at various points and... I'd not necessarily been great in my uh, in the early years of this about talking about it. Yeah, there's a fear of a sort of stigma of mental illness. But what I'll explain in a moment is that stigma becomes quite internalized as well. It's not necessarily about how others view you. Depression is a very self-consuming illness. It's one whereby you are so trapped in yourself that really that is all that matters, certainly from my experience. Now, things which I would say what it's actually like, these are quite uncomfortable to talk about, never mind listen to. Um, I would would carry with me a, a sense of shame and guilt. Guilt in the, the purest form and at the worst times in my life of actually being alive, of being someone that had breath, that I wasn't worthy of that, and I would ruminate so much about the flaws that I perceived that I had and really feel guilty about anything I did. I would be spending a lot of time reflecting on events and contacts I'd had with people and thinking that I've made a complete mess of it and feeling so guilty. And also the shame about how I was and that's something now I reflect and I'm able to place it in the context it was I think I was also ashamed of being depressed I was ashamed that I'd succumbed to an illness that I felt I was weak and then if society in some way is saying that I was weak also then of course that's going to make an impact but internally I felt that I was ashamed of myself my self-esteem in these periods of depression and and probably throughout my my 20s for for the most part of that decade was was rock bottom um i would feel that i would not be attractive to the opposite sex that friends would just be in my company because they felt they had to that i didn't have anything to offer to other people in that way that's something very difficult to shake I was reading the other day about how in the 1960s there was a lot of studies done regarding regarding depression and I'm not sure if these are outdated by new research but there was the concept of arrested depression where people would recover from the very worst of it but would still continue with a lot of the low level symptoms and that certainly strikes a chord with me. I look back and think that even when I wasn't at my very worst when I'd got over the the issue uh, surrounding me in the early part of my 20s, 
I would definitely be someone that was carrying around low self-esteem and a lack of interest in things that previously had been passions. So that idea of arrested uh, depression, not thriving, when really your life is there to enjoy. I'd also have a, a, at any point of these um, low periods a lot of morbid delusions situations I would approach with the worst case scenario at the very front of my head if something did go well it would have to be an accident it would have to be a fluke and I would find a way of explaining that away to me to, to myself that this surely won't happen again so those morbid delusions would then also get worse and worse in terms of my own mortality, uh, linking into that idea of the guilt. Depression has this amazing, and I use amazing in the, the, the literal sense of the word, not in the positive sense, this amazing ability to have uh, this kind of swing of effect. You, you feel bad... Um, with depression and then it, let's say you do feel better you have some treatment and initially a lot of the time it would come back to me that I would then reinforce my own negative opinion of myself by saying well now I feel better what the hell was wrong with me that I'd felt that bad you know I must be weird for thinking I was in that situation and then I would feel bad as a result of that so a vicious cycle or whatever you'd like to call it certainly did exist within um, my experience of depression there. Um, I've left the, 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 the more difficult ones to last here, typically. Um, I'd also find myself uh, consumed with a lot of irrational actions. So not so much um, the irrational thoughts, they'd certainly be very present, but these would come out of me in, in different ways. So because of the, the anxiety which grew and grew as a result of my depression it would also be that um, some of those rational thoughts just I wouldn't be able to keep in so on a very low level I might contact someone uh, via a text message or what have you and then having not received a reply uh, send uh, another one and another one and another one uh, now of course if you're on the receiving end of that you do look at that person and think well that's not particularly um, normal behaviour and that might then lead you to want to disassociate with them. If you're aware of what they're like, maybe that would be a cue to say, well, you know, if everything's okay, you seem like you're a bit on edge or what have you. But if you're doing that in the formative stage of relationships, um, and when I say relationships, I mean both with friends and, and in terms of a, a partner, that is something which is going to put people off you, quite obviously. And at the end of a relationship, perhaps, um, naturally someone wanting to seek answers for you know why things have gone wrong then continually you know kind of pestering someone like that reinforces the idea that you're weird that you uh, are messed up and that that person of course would want to have nothing to do with you so those irrational actions uh, were, are also linked i think from from reflection on my own uh, my own experience and i'm not saying these are things that transfer directly to others um is that I think somewhere deep down, I would want some certainty. So if I'm going to have a contact with someone in an irrational way, deep down maybe it was that I wanted the certainty of being rejected, of being told that I was an idiot, so that that could reinforce my own perception. 
there's something I, I've I've read regarding um, a great book. I think it's called. Uh, oh God, I can't remember what it's called. Never mind. Oh, if I find out, I'll, I'll put it on the notes attached to this about the psychology of gamblers. Uh, and there was some study done to to discover that actually a lot of p- compulsive gamblers or people with with gambling addictions will want to lose because that reinforces their view of the world. I'd certainly associate myself with that idea in terms of some of the irrational behaviours that I'd exhibit around my depression. So I was wanting in some way to confirm my misery. Maybe I don't want a positive response from what I'm sending. At the time, I had no idea of that. And maybe even now I'm overanalyzing what had gone on. But the worst one, I mean, this is... I've talked about um, depression quite a lot i mention it within the sessions i mention it more and more when it's appropriate to those close to me to try and help both myself but also others who may inter- have interactions with themselves to say that look you're not the only person this is how i felt it normalizes it but i don't think that i've mentioned um th- this next bit probably to anyone which makes it difficult to say out loud all the other stuff's quite well rehearsed now self-harm is what i'm going to talk about Uh, this is something which in society's eyes is probably something that that is just uh, uh, something that teenage girls do you know there we go we like to make a cut and uh, a shut and what am i on about we like to make a very quick judgment on on things so that we don't have to think about it too much so eating disorders self-harm people categorize as being for teenage girls um you know violent responses to mental illness tend to be for blokes well i look back uh at all the episodes that i've had of depression and think that self-harm was definitely something that was on the agenda um the thought of it was has always been present part of it was to perhaps be able to control something because my thought my mind would be racing with all kinds of different thoughts like i've mentioned the morbid delusions the horrible thoughts the ones that are in your head that are telling you that this pain is too much and you shouldn't carry on so the self-harm in one way the the, the idea of it was a really really welcome opportunity to control the pain to be able to take yourself out of that uncontrollable pain of thoughts that you just can't deal with to focusing on something in particular i also on reflection think that i entertain these ideas to remind myself later that i'm messed up that my mind at the time is saying well you probably will get better but i tell you what you can look at that scar and you can remind yourself that you must have been fucked up to do that. Equally, I think the times where I had thought about it and the couple of times where it had happened, I was wanting to disfigure in some way uh, my body so that it matched what I felt it was worth. A lot of the times we read about self-harm, it would be people for that element of wanting to control the pain it may well be hidden and their arm or so on well at my worst time in my life i took a a, a knife to my to my face because i wanted to leave a scar there that i would see every single day 
to remind myself that I wasn't really worth the life that I had. That, thankfully, uh, is not a particularly visible scar. You can catch it in the right light. I've also got one on my uh, left arm, which two friends were, were present when it happened. Yeah, these things are really difficult to talk about. And I always have running through my mind, even now, at a better time in my life, the thought about what people would judge based on that. I think what we have to remember is that these are not the actions of someone who's well. These are things whereby you do need help, and, and thankfully, around that time, I did get it. So, there's an array of very negative, bleak aspects of what it's like, or what it was like for me. How does it get better? Well, the cliches are there for a reason, because they do make a difference. They're true. Talking. Talking out loud about these problems gets them from only residing in your mind to being things that other people can either listen to, give you advice, or even if you're just saying it out loud to yourself, it verbalises what's going on. It makes an incredible difference. That talking is the step towards getting significant help, whether it's medication or whether it is some form of talking therapy. A lot of people will find it difficult to speak to those close to them. I've certainly found that over uh, over years. And someone like Calm or the Samaritans are really useful for that. I found also something useful along the same lines as talking as that of keeping a journal, that of writing down thoughts. And in really good times, it's very motivational. In the bleaker times, it's something which does at least give you an outlet for something. When it's possible to motivate oneself, exercise is, is fantastic. The opportunity to give yourself something to achieve, to boost your self-esteem, to think, well, actually, even if I still do find myself a, a difficult person to, to live with, then I can still find some accomplishment in running a certain distance or lifting a certain weight or, or, or anything along those lines. What I found more and more, though, and what helps it get better if it ever returns in a much more mild form to the um, the aspects that I've mentioned previous because I'm used to being able to spot symptoms. I'm used to being able to see that it's coming, potentially. I still don't know entirely why it is that I'm prone to that. The doctor did say to me once that it's uh, an androgynous depression, that it's to do with what's inside me maybe the chemical makeup or what have you I, I don't tend to listen too much because of my um dislike of science because i was so bad at it at school but um that certainly goes into the argument that it's a flaw in chemistry that exists um for others it might be an exogenous i think i pronounced it right um uh, interaction where it's more event-based and events will certainly influence people um whether it's a, a, a chemical thing or, or, or otherwise but it's the ability now that I, I've generated to trust in the future, to be able to alter that internal voice to say, rather than just it's all bad and it's, it's never going to get better, to realise that it does. That's not to diminish what it feels like to be low and down and depressed clinically, but to know that the future does get better and trust that. 
and do the things when you feel able to that promote good mental health and then keep building and building and building from there. People send such lovely messages or such lovely forms of contact when you let them help. And I've kept a lot of these over the over the, the years and people will often send things that will be quite motivational. Um, at the time, it's hard to engage with that. But a bit later, there's things there you can really cling on to. Um, a, a really good, a good old friend of mine sent me uh, a quote from the uh, the Rocky films. A couple of quotes, actually. Now, I love Rocky. I think it's the best film franchise ever. People who listen to this might be kind of howling with derision at uh, what's just a sports movie or what have you, but it, it, it's fantastic. I love it. And part of what I love about it is the underdog story, what Rocky does to 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 overcome problems that exist and to, to make himself the best that he can be. But he's also got some really useful dialogue there. And I was watching some clips um, recently, and there's one where Apollo Creed is training Rocky in Rocky Three, and Rocky's sort of giving up on this training, he doesn't feel motivated and so on, and he talks about doing it tomorrow. And Apollo barks at him, there is no tomorrow. And I wound it, wound it back. I reversed it. I sound like my dad wind it back. I reversed it on the um, on YouTube and played it a few times in a row. And that quote, in terms of a mantra, is something that I've thought about a lot recently. And it fits in with, with depression really well. When you're really bad, no tomorrow is actually something which... I can I could cling on to in a good way in saying that all I need to do is get through today. All I need to do is make sure that I look after myself as best I can and that I get through today with that trust that what comes in the future will be better. Now, when we've got or when I've got good mental health, there is no tomorrow is a really motivating thing to say put everything into you into this 24 hours do the best you can concentrate on the moment live in the moment don't be thinking about all the bad things in the past or being worried about what happens in the future so that's something which at, at the very very bottom of of the uh, of this at the very worst that would just appear to be glib and i would shake it off and say oh that guy's an, an idiot for saying that but now I can look on those things and say, yeah, I can find my own kind of truth in that. So to finish, the lessons that I've learned about this, uh, and I cannot stress these enough. You have to talk. You have to let someone help. Equally, you can't put pressure on yourself to feel better. All these things that are out there which can help you recover from depression, which can help you have better mental health, are, are there but at some points you won't be able to access that just yet it might be that you feel like you can't get out of bed it might be that it feels like you can't see anyone so don't put extra pressure on yourself thinking oh i've got to go for a run because that's the only thing that can make me feel better equally where you can find the strength do things that will help that element of trust in the process i never knew how profound the idea of taking one day at a time was 
until depression had sucked me into hating the past and fearing the future. Allowing myself the presence in today, I think, is what sustains my largely good mental health these days. Be honest. That's the key. Be honest and look after yourself. Identify what your triggers are, what your derailers are, and say, right, well, actually, stress at work tends to lead to this. What can you do to avoid getting stressed at work? Or it might be your your relationship with alcohol or particular situations, or time of the year. Whatever it is, being honest about it is the most important thing. I've thought long and hard about recording this, some very personal things in here that people could hear and view me in a different way. I think my attitude to that is that someone's perception of you or someone wanting to pass a judgement on you is their problem and there's nothing that they can do which can make you feel as bad as being at the very very bottom of your self-esteem through depression and wanting to live no longer that thankfully is in the past it might return again i don't claim to be someone who as i said at the very beginning has cured my own depression i think it's In terms of me being honest, I've got to say that I do live with that in the background. But my experience is that things do get better and they will. I finish this with a phone number for you. Calm, a charity that Opening Up do uh, quite a bit with and for. They are the best around for helping you if you're in a rut. It doesn't have to be depression. It can be anything which is putting you off living a happy and fulfilled life. Their number between 5pm and midnight each each day is 0800 585858. Someone on the end of that will pick up your call and they care, even if you don't know them. Even if you never speak to them again, they care and that's why they do it. Thank you for listening. Take it easy.